Good morning, everyone. Junior church, you are dismissed to walk. Um, while you're doing that, kids, look up here real quick. On the back, parents, please notice this. There is a Christmas Bible reading plan that we found online. You guys can go now. But this would be something to really read through with your kids about the whole Christmas season, um, the scriptures behind that. They're on the back uh, for you to take. How many of you have ever been in a between a rock and a hard place? Okay, I, every one of us, right? Um, you're in some sort of trial or trouble. You look for an escape in one direction, and when you turn to go the other way, you're met with a boulder. There's more trials. No matter which way you turn, there's no hope, no escape, no help in sight, no answer. We've all been there, right? In 1982, a Russian lady named Valencia was arrested at the age of 28 for transporting Christian material, literatures, and sentenced to five years in prison. After her trial, she was sent to the Siberian camp called the Valley of Death by prisoners because of its high mortality rate and the spread of tuberculosis. She was cut off completely from her friends, her family, her spiritual family, without the comfort of her Bible, without, uh, and the surrounded by prisoners spying on and cursing at her, she said this, there were periods when it seemed I couldn't pray, that the heavens were sealed, sealed up, and silent. She was living at that moment literally between a rock and a hard place. But have there been times where we have also been in that same place, maybe not literally, but we feel like no matter what we do, the heavens are sealed up and they're not fearing. How do you get through times when you're between that rock and a hard place? If you're not in a, between a rock and a hard place now, let me just give you a little bit of hope. You will be. Okay? It's going to happen. So when you're there, what do we do? We're nearing our end of our study of the book of Acts. And our theme this year has been destination. Paul's, at this time, he is focused on going to Rome. He wants to get there to spread the message of Christ. And while he's in Jerusalem to heal a breach, a, a division between Jewish and Gentile Christians, he got caught in a riot um, based on a misunderstanding. He was saved by a Roman military unit whose captain, instead of arresting the ones who were causing the riot, causing the mob. They arrested Paul. He was saved from an interrogation and flogging only uh, by informing his guards that I'm a Roman citizen. And so they didn't give him the punishment that they were just going to hand him. Paul is then brought before a Jewish council, essentially the Supreme Court in the Israel day, to see what charges were against him. The council is so divided, Paul is taken back to prison and his fate is undecided, and that's where we're going to find him in Acts chapter 23. And what we're going to see here is Paul is between this rock and a hard place. He is alone. He has no Christian friends around him at this point. I'm sure he is very disappointed in his Jewish colleagues, the Jewish Christians that have turned away from his efforts to, to try and bring reconciliation between the Jews and the Gentile Christians. Paul has found himself falsely jailed at the mercy of an unjust and corrupt leaders. He was eventually beaten. He was in the harsh custody of Romans. He was in a hard place. The Supreme Court of Israel was out to destroy him, if at all possible. A 
as they had done to Jesus, to Stephen, and other Christians. And yet we're going to discover that in this moment, that he's in this rock and a hard place, God meets him. Acts 23, verse 11, look what it says. But the following night, the Lord stood near him and said, Be courageous, for as you have testified to the truth about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify in Rome also. Notice where God is. The Lord stood at Paul's side. Told him to be courageous. Other translations will say be of good cheer or be encouraged. Paul, right here, he's he's rejected. He's falsely accused. He's beaten. He's a victim of mistaken identity, and he's in prison. And God comes up and says, be courageous. Basically, this is what God comes up and says, hey, cheer up. Now, when you're in a rock and hard place and somebody comes up and says, oh, just be positive, don't you just want to smack them? I mean, that's not very helpful, is it? Oh, don't you, don't worry about it. We want to sit there and go, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what it's like feeling here. You don't know what it's like to be in this spot. And yet, God says it. And if God came to you in the moment of that distress, in the moment of those two different trials, the rocks in the hard place, if God comes and says, hey, cheer up, I think that carries a little bit of weight, more weight than if one of our family or friends says it. Jesus came to assure Paul that even though he's between a rock and a hard place, Cheer up because God is in control. Be courageous because God is in control. There's no reason to be worried or upset. Why should Paul be courageous? Why should Paul be courageous in this moment? Well, I think there's three reasons that we can see from this text. And they're the same reasons that each one of us needs to take to heart when we get in between the rock and the hard place, when we're stuck between financial bills and and new credit, debt, whatever coming. We have um, physical problems, and we got to pay for this, and we got a looming surgery. we got kids who are turning older, and now we've got to raise our insurance rates. We're stuck between rock and a hard place. How can we do this? Well, Paul's going to show this. When between a rock and a hard place, you can be courageous because of the first thing we see here is God's presence. It said it right there, but on the following night, the Lord stood near him. Just for a moment, when you're stuck in that rock and a hard place, you feel like the, the heavens are sealed shut. You can't get near to God. And yet, what does it say right here? God came and stood near him. When Jesus appeared to Paul, it was a reminder that Jesus is life, that he's a, he is everywhere, he's in every situation, and how blessed to know that Jesus is always with us, even between the rocks and a hard place. Do you know this is even one of the promises Jesus gives us? Matthew 28, verse 20, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And on the way to the end of the age, there are a lot of different places that we're stuck in a rock and a hard place. And Jesus says, I am right there with you. How many of us have been hurt, misunderstood, we've been in pain, we've been discouraged, we've been in that valley of despair, 
And yet when we come into those dark, those darkest hours, when you look past all the pain, when you look past the rocks and the hard place, and you fully dump it all at his feet, you can start seeing the presence of Jesus in your life. Let me just say something real quick on that. Sometimes it's hard to see it in the moment. And you don't always see it until you're past it and you can look back and go, that's where he was. But he was there. It's not a feeling. It's a fact. Remember that Jesus is there. He promised it. Call out to seek his face. Ask him to make his presence real to you. Go to the Psalms and just camp out there. Start reading the Psalms. David there which we're going to get into a lot next year. David is in the Psalms, and he's saying, I am overwhelmed. I am struck everywhere. I've got enemies all around me, but you, O Lord. And he starts feeling the presence of God, and we can too. You will experience the presence of the Lord. And I can say that with a guarantee, because God's presence gives us courage. When in between a rock and a hard place, we can be courageous because of God's providence. Providence means divine guidance, protection, and care, all wrapped up together. Okay? Look what it says, uh, starting in verse 12. When it was day, the Jews formed a conspiracy and put themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who formed this plot. They came to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have put ourselves under an oath to taste nothing until we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you and the council notify the commander to bring him down to you as though you're going to investigate his case more thoroughly. And as for us, we are ready to kill him before he comes near the place. But the son of Paul's sister heard about their ambush, and he came and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul command, called one of the centurions to himself and said, take this young man to the commander, for he has something to report to him. So he took him, uh, this nephew to, uh, and led him to the commander. And said, Paul the prisoner called me over to him and asked me to bring you this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took him by the hand, stepping aside, began to inquire of him privately. What is this you have to report to me? The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down tomorrow to the council, as though they're going to inquire somewhere, somewhat more through, um, thoroughly about him. Do not listen to them, for, there, for more than 40 of them are hiding in ambush. And these men have put themselves under an oath not to eat or drink until they kill him, and now they are ready and waiting for assurance from you. Then the commander told the young man to go, instructing him, tell no one that you've notified me of this. This, I just think this is a fascinating scene. This is a behind-the-scenes of things that usually we don't get to see unless you're watching TV. It's fascinating to see no matter how much people seek to stop the will of God, they're making oaths, they're making pacts, they're making plans, and they can't stop God. That, that's just a whole sermon in itself right there. Here are these people wanting to stop Paul from going on destination, what God has called him to, and they're not going to win. Which should be a side note to us, when we are on destination with God, the world's going to try and stop us. Because the world follows Satan. But what stops the will of God? Okay, let's get back to this room. Okay. Um, if, God, if God wanted Paul to die, there isn't a magistrate or king on the earth who could save his life. If God wanted Paul to live, these 40 religious terrorists 
are going to be shown to be powerless. And here we see amazing providence of God at work. What coincidence, right? There's just a coincidence that this young man happens to hear the plot to kill Paul. And what a coincidence. He just happens to be Paul's nephew. There's no such thing as coincidence here. Coincidence with God's people. What the world calls coincidence, Christians refer to as God's providence. It isn't karma. Karma's fake. Okay? It isn't fate. If you're looking for fate, you've taken your eyes off of God and put it into worldly powers. It is God's providence. There's a man, this true story, uh, stationed in Vietnam in the war who came to uh, know a zealous Korean preacher named Kim Lee. Kim Lee preached with God's power and was effective in reaching a host of Americans and South Korean servicemen for Christ. But what this serviceman learned was Kim's conversion story. When the communists took over North Korea, his father was executed. Kim's mother gathered him and his sister, fled to the south on foot. On the trip, his mother froze to death. Later, he became separated from his only sister, who he never saw again for the rest of his life. At only 10 years of old, he almost died of starvation and exposure until he came into contact with a unit of U.S. Marines who fed him and took care of him and made them their little mascots. But they taught him a lot of bad habits. After the war, he drifted into organized crime. He committed some very serious crimes. After a bank robbery, which he killed the bank teller, he was captured and sentenced to life in prison. So here's this bad kid who's had a hard life. His whole life is just a rock. It's a hard place. And now he's in prison which is another rock and hard place. In prison, he met a chaplain. He shared Christ with him faithfully, but he just seemed to go in one ear and out the other. Kim did accept a Bible, though. He accepted a Bible from this um, chaplain because the pages could be torn out and rolled up to make cigarettes. And that's what he was doing with the Word of God. One evening, after the permitted hours of smoking in his cell, he still tore out a page of the Bible, rolled a cigarette, and a guard came by and caught him. What are you doing? I'm not rolling a cigarette. You ever seen those little, uh, those videos of little kids who they got their hands, what are you doing? Nothing. Where they've got the food all over their face. I, I didn't eat that. that. That's what happened to him right here. What are you doing? I, I'm not rolling a cigarette. I'm reading this page of the Bible that I tore from the Bible. The guard says, reading the Bible, you can't even read. I say, you're smoking. And so that's when Kim said, I can read and I'll prove it to you. I was reading this. Well, if you can read, tell me what's on that page. So Kim unrolled it. He picked up that torn one, unrolled it, and his eyes went to one verse. John 3. 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He read that out loud to the guard. And after reading it out loud, Kim said that this wonderful truth flooded over him. 
And in the instant, he started understanding everything that the chaplain had been saying. I, I want to say something right there. Kim was in a cell, just like Paul, and in a moment, the Lord stood near him. Kim was converted. His life changed suddenly and irreversibly. He devoured the word of God. Instead of ripping it out, he soaked it up and put it into his heart. He attended every service and Bible study he could and became a flaming evangelist, is how they described him. Witnessing to every guard, every visitor, every inmate, making a test of himself. When a new inmate would come in, he goes, hey, come sit by me. Let me tell you about the ropes here. And by the way, let me tell you about Jesus. Every guard, hey, come here, come here. Thank you for serving and being good to us and protecting us. And uh, let me tell you about Jesus. Visitors, when you're done seeing him, why don't you come talk to me so I can tell you about Jesus. A prison psychologist examined him and concluded, this man is insane. That's how zealous he became. He is insane, but he's no longer a threat to society and recommended him to be pardoned. Once Kim was released, he preached with a lot of conversions in his life. Let me ask you a question. Isn't it a coincidence that he just happened to tear out a page of the Gospel of John and just by chance got caught and his eyes came to John 3, 16? That's God's providence. Look at verse 16 of our text. But the son of Paul's sister heard about the ambush, and he came and entered the barracks and told Paul, check your New Testament. Check the Bible from beginning to end. You're not going to find another reference to Paul's sister or his nephew ever again. Just by chance, this happened. By God's providential hand, they were set to side on all of history except for this one moment. When Paul was between a rock and a hard place, and then God said, Nephew, it's time to get on stage. Get out there. This is incredible, but by the way, this is really how God works all throughout history. God steps in in these great ways that just so happen as the world would describe them. When suddenly God steps into your life, no matter how difficult the plot appears, he just says, it's time. He moves in. He might use an angel, an obscure nephew, an earthquake, a fish. Right on cue, the rock and the hard place move. And God's providence is shown. And even if God chooses to keep you between that rock and hard place physically, you can still be spiritually and emotionally freed. Valencia in um, the Soviet, who was in the valley of death, Talks about a rock in hard places, right? I mean, I, I have never been to prison. I've visited a jail voluntarily, okay? Uh, when I was in youth group, the, our youth minister took us in, and we got to tour the place. I got to go in the drunk tank. I don't want to go in there again. That smelled horrid. I got to tour some of the cells, and when they shut it, that sound, I'm like, oh. I got to tour it. But I wasn't there. I've never been there like that, but it is a rock and a hard place. This lady knows this. The conditions in camp for her were disheartening. 
She said, I prayed before being sent there that wherever God sent me, he would give me the strength to fulfill the work quota. At first, things were very hard physically, of course, but God preserved me in his mercy through the prayers of my friends in the church. Sometimes I didn't have the strength to pray, but could only raise my eyes to heaven in a silent cry. In his mercy, the Lord sent me a Christian sister. Wait, what's that mean? She sent me a Christian sister, Natasha, a wonderful Christian of sterling character, full of peace, and it was evident that the Lord was present with her. We always tried to support one another in the arms of prayer. Wait, wait a minute. In God's providence, God had another Christian incarcerated. Brought us together. See, the, the Soviet government thought they were in control. They took this person who was spreading literature, who was trying to talk about Jesus, and threw her in Death Valley. But even though I walk through the valley of death, God is in control. And this providence came right in, and now she was no longer alone. Really, the Soviet government was just a player, a pawn, in what God was doing. Even in her greatest trial, God brought her someone who made that rock not seem so hard, so much softer. That's the providence of God. And if you look over your life, if you look and ask for God to give you the wisdom to look over your life, you're going to see a trail of what may appear to be coincidences or fortuitous events that are really the providence of God. And we need to celebrate those and share those. After I wrote this part, I started looking back over my life. We lived in a great town, lots of stuff going on. It was a very prosperous town in Wyoming. Coal mining fueled and um, funded everything. And I left that and moved into the middle of a cornfield in a trailer park in Indiana. Rocking on our place. But by providence, I met my wife. By providence, I met other ministers who helped grow me in my faith. By providence, I was actually kept out of the gangs and the drugs that were happening in that school system. Even in fourth grade, I saw. By providence, God took me out of a Situation and brought me into prosperation. By providence. Yeah, I just made that word up. Prosperation. Write it down. I saw some of you go, oh, hey, that's a new word. There's a new dictionary. It's Donnie's dictionary. All right. Let's go to verse 23. And he called to him, this is the centurion, the, the commander here. He called to him two of the centurions and said, get 200 soldiers ready by the third hour of the night to proceed to Caesarea with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen. They were also to provide mounts to put Paul on and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. And he wrote a letter with the following content. Claudius Lystia to the most excellent Felix, greetings. When this man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them, I came up to them with the troops and rescued him. Notice he came to arrest him. Now he's saying, I came and rescued him. After learning that he was a Roman, that's called gaslighting right there. He changed the order of events to make himself look better, but okay. Um, and wanting to ascertain the basis of the charges they were bringing against him, I brought him down to their council, and I found that he was being accused regarding questions in their law, 
but was not charged with anything deserving death or imprisonment. When I was informed that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, also instructing his accusers to bring charges against him before you. So the soldiers, in accordance with their orders, took Paul and brought him to that uh, by night to um, Antipatris. But on the next day, they let the horsemen go with him, and they returned to their barracks. When these horsemen had come to Caesarea, they delivered the letter to the governor, and they also presented Paul to him. Now, when they read it, he also asked from what providence Paul was, and when he learned that he was from, ah, I forgot how to say it. How do you say this? That's what I just said. Cilicia. He said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive as well, giving orders for Paul to be kept in Herod's praetorium. Now, this is really cool, okay, when we see this. Once the plot, the murder plot is exposed, the Lord cranked up the Roman Empire. The ones that wanted to do nothing but kill Christians and put them on the cross. The Roman Empire that just really didn't care about anything except their own. The Lord cranked them up and provided transportation and protection for this new chairman of the Evangelical Committee. Okay? Which is Paul. And this guy is dedicated to spreading the gospel along all the Gentiles to what providence or province? Rome. And here Rome is going to fund his journey. When in between a rock and a hard place, we can be courageous because of God's protection. Just look at the protection here. The Romans provide a bunch of bodyguards. How many guys wanted to come and kill Paul? Over 40. Okay? They are not going to eat or drink until he's dead. And look at this. 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen, with a total of over 470 soldiers. And it said that... Um, oh, I'll get to that. These 40 religious terrors are going to be wiped out by soldiers. Because remember, these 40 guys, they were not soldiers. They were just religious terrorist zealots who were deciding to take out this one guy. And now there's armed soldiers guarding him. So they're protecting him. The Romans also provided free transportation. Verse 24 says he was provided with mounts, horses. The Greek is plural, which means Paul is going to have more than one horse. Why is he going to need more than one horse? Because it's a long journey, and that horse might get tired. And that means they're not stopping. So they're going to have multiple multiple gas tanks. That's what this means. Okay? Paul traveled also in style. He's a prisoner. And this prisoner is put on a horse, which is reserved for regal royalty or people in high position. Going for more than a 60-mile journey to the judgment hall of Herod's palace in Caesarea. But yet, this is where you need to read it in one of those um, TV Shows or TV commercials, but wait, there's more. God's not done. The Lord even provided safe lodging, Herod's personal quarters in his praetorium. Um, Morgan G. Campbell Morgan said the palace of Herod was used by the Lord as a safe place for his servant. It was a prison, but a prison is a palace when the Lord provides it for his servant. 
Paul. This wasn't the dungeons. This was his own private one that Herod had in his palace. There's a little kind of cells there. But these guys were going to be taken care of. Not just thrown off in some dungeon. That is protection. Bodyguards, funding, and a palace. That's what I call one of the great blessings of the Christian life, to know that God's protection is on my life. Did God keep Paul from any of the trials and the persecution? No, he said, I'll be with you in and through them. To know that Satan can not do one thing to me without God's expressed permission. And even then, his providence and his protection, God's providence and protection is there because God is in control. That not one thing can happen to me without a reasonable and good purpose for it in my life. If you're between a rock and a hard place, you can know you're under God's special watch. That God's protection, his provision is over you. Let me tell you a little bit more about Valencia, the Soviet prisoner. She stayed in the Valley of Death for her full five years. She was released in 1987 when she turned 32. When asked, do you regret the years you wasted? Do you regret the years you wasted in that prison when you could have done so much more? This is what she said. If the Son of God willingly went to Calvary for me, What, in comparison, is giving five years of my earthly life? The ministry he gave, listen to that word, the ministry he gave me in the prison camp was the work he wanted me to do. He put me there and required only that I be faithful to him. He gave me the health and the strength to remain faithful to him. And through his mercy and power, through the prayers of his people, he enabled me to be victorious. Are you between a rock and a hard place right now? Some of you actually are. Some of you are going through some really hard struggles. There are things in your life, family, work, whatever those issues are, you are stuck between a rock and a hard place. And so hear this. Be courageous. Choose to be encouraged because there is providence of God coming over you. There is protection of God coming over you. And more than any of that, the presence of God is promised to his people in the midst of the valley, the shadow of death. I will fear no rock or hard place. I will fear no evil for you, my God are with me. Who knows? This rock in a hard place may look bad on our end. may look like a prison. But just like Paul, it may turn into a fortress for his work, for his word, and for our life to be focused on that destination. The only way we're going to be able to get through the rock in the hard place is if we know our destination like Paul did. Do you know where you're going? Do you know what your life is headed for? Do you know what your purpose is? Because he's ready to give it to you. And in the process, in the journey, he's going to be with you, protecting, providing. Are you ready to go on the journey? 
even through the rock and the hard place. Because no rock can stand against the rock of my salvation. No hard place can withstand the strength of my God. And so I'll stand. Are you ready to stand? We're going to sing a song of invitation. And if you've never made that stand to come up and stand under his mighty arms of forgiveness and grace, do you need to come and let go of the sins, to let go of the guilt that are standing in between, that you're in between, and to let his blood flow over you so that you can have providence, so you can have protection, and you can have his presence? Will you come? Let's stand and let's praise God in and through these places.